Good morning. Uh, we are in 1 John chapter 3, still. And after reading these first 15 verses, uh, I think we're going to be here a while. Uh, it has some really tough phrases in here, as you're going to uh, see, and I'm sure you remember some things that I think God is really dealing with, surely is with me, and, and I think his church, in light of everything that's been going on. Uh, so let's, let's dig into 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did, know, did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one, oops, I take this phone. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices unrighteous, or righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not <clears throat> be like Cain, who was of the devil, uh, was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your blood. Lord, that cleanses us from all sin. And, and Lord, as we... As Jackie uh, dissects these passages and expands on them, Father, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds and just expose those things in us that we need to repent of, Lord, and we just call upon your name knowing that we cannot, we can't love those that we don't even like. Father, we can't do the things that you say in your word without the power of your Holy Spirit operating in our hearts and minds. So right now, Lord, I just pray for a baptism of love as we listen and ponder these words. Father, do a work in us as your body. Help us, Lord, to be that light that goes out into a world where there's so much hate. Lord, help us to be that example Father, and we just thank you ahead of time, knowing that you are the one to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. 
In Jesus' name, amen. From the looks of things, we're going to be in John chapter 3, 1 John 3, another week. <clears throat> and as we do, I hope you'll do yourself a favor and, and me a favor and allow the Word of God to be your mirror, not your flashlight. So I tried the flashlight bit, and all that happens when I use the Word of God as a flashlight is it shines back in my eyes. The Word of God is our mirror. According to James, it's how we look at our face. It's how we see ourselves. The Word of God is for us individually. And I hope that uh, the challenges from the Word this morning will uh, cause us to look at ourselves. As we look, we don't want to lose focus. 1 John begins with the idea that there's one person who makes everything possible. The person who makes everything possible is the word of life, Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it all. How can I love my brother? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that the love of God is poured out of my heart by the Holy Spirit that was given to me. Who gave me the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's the one from which everything begins. And when we look at Christ as the center, the next thing we realize is there's something that hinders us. That is sin. Sin hinders us not to be played with, not to be walked in, as you can see from the text, not to be practiced, but rather to be confessed, right? We take our sin, we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now he goes on to talk about the proof that we are walking in him, the proof that we're with him. Two things he's going to focus on, and these are things John's going to cycle back to over and over again. One, you keep his commands. That means you care what he has said to you. My, my wife and I, we corresponded back in those days when we were young. There was no Snapchat or whatever stuff you guys do. We actually put a pen to a piece of paper, and we wrote something out, and you put this thing on as a stamp, and you mail it, and it would take like months to get there. And when I was in boot camp, I think I wrote her every day I was in boot camp because if you've ever been to boot camp in the Marine Corps, you're going to want to do something else for some of your time. So I wrote to her every day. She still has all those letters, the letters she wrote to me, the letters uh, I wrote to her. Um, we value those. That's the term that the Lord is using when he says, keep my commandments. You keep them? Do they matter to you? Are they, are they part of your treasury? So one, if you're a believer, you keep his commandments. Two, the second thing, you'll love one another. Man, that's gonna, this is John. Remember John, the original son of thunder, call down fire from heaven, burn all these people. They're a bunch of losers. That's what John was like. But now, <coughs> John is the apostle of love. So this whole sermon would be about loving one another. Two signs that we're a proof that we belong to him. He tells us the reason why he's writing these letters, to encourage believers to grow, to expose the dangers of worldliness, and to express for us the attitudes of the Antichrist that are all around us. And then last week we talked about the purity of the love of God. He talks about verse 1 of, of John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love it is. We talked about seven things. This love is extraordinary, comes from the Father, calls us children. It confuses the world but confirms his promise to us. It challenges us to a holy life and it confronts us about sin. That's the definition of behold what manner of love it is in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now he's going to go on to talk to this about this love, the purity of the love of God, and a warning, an admonition. Beware of deception. We need to be aware. Warnings for deception are found everywhere in the Bible. The Bible uses this word, admonish one another. Admonish means to warn one another. Warn, watch out for that, watch out for that, watch out for that. Now, the world will interpret that as judgment. 
That's not judgment, that's admonishing. Do you know the difference? Admonishing, warn somebody, fire's hot. You know fire's hot? Well, if you're dancing on the fire, I'm gonna assume you don't know fire's hot and I will help you. Hey, brother, fire's hot. What are you doing dancing in the fire? Or like this, little Johnny, get your hand out of the fire. Which hand, Dad? Doesn't matter. Take them both out of the fire. How about that? Admonish, warning one another about what's going on. Scripture's full of it. Look at verse 7, John chapter, 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. When we think about this, most of the time people think about the devil. You know, the devil, the father of lies, you gotta watch out that the devil's deceiving you. Let me tell you right now, the devil has bigger fish to fry than you and me. He's not in Buell. He probably has minions here, sure, but he's not here. No devil here. The devil's someplace else doing his thing. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. He can only be one place. When the Bible warns us about deception, the most damning deception that I can think of is self-deception. More people are self-deceived than any other type of deception that's out there. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. We don't believe that. You think your heart tells you the truth all the time. That's not what the Bible says. So let me ask you a question. If the Bible says something different than you think, who's wrong? Well, some of us would say, I'm wrong. But some of us would say, the Bible's wrong. The Bible says the heart is deceitful, desperately sick. Desperately sick. Isaiah 44.20 says, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. He cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What was Isaiah talking about? He's talking about the deception. The deception of the false prophets, the deceptions of the kings in rebellion against God. Self-deception. Obadiah verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock. Prophecy toward the Nabataean uh, people. Oh, you see their places sometimes in movies. You heard of Petra? Yeah. He said, Obadiah said, your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. What's the problem? What's our heart? Our heart. You who say in your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? When the Nabataeans built their kingdom, they were like, hey, nobody can get us. And well, 2,000 years later, we still like to go see it. If you've ever been to Petra, it's an amazing thing to see. But you know what? Nobody's there anymore. Who's going to bring me down? The problem is self-deception. Here's an issue. James 1.22 calls us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. The last phrase is important, deceiving yourself. So when John begins in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. You should write your name there. I do. Jackie, do not deceive yourself. Do not deceive yourself. Why? Listen, it's going to be important, and it kind of all ties together with what we've been talking about. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now, most of us think we know what practicing righteousness is. There's a little trick in Bible study, and that is to allow the author to tell us what it is. He's going to, if you'll hang around and listen for a minute. There's something he intends. Now, you and I, we might say, okay, I want to practice righteousness. I want to say the things that are going to glorify God. I want to do things that are going to glorify God. These are things we've been talking about. But, you know, John's going to tell us what he's talking about. He is talking about loving your brother. Pay attention to context. Because it's going to come up over and over and over 
When he says uh, someone who follows God is going to practice righteousness, he's going to equate that to loving your brother. Loving the body of Christ. He's going to equate that to loving one another. Listen, he's going to first build on the negative. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now you remember Jesus, when Jesus looked over to the disciples, or looked over to the scribes and Pharisees, he said to them, you are of your father the devil. Why did he say that? Because he knew in their hearts they were planning on murdering him. And he's saying the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar and the father of lies. So when he says he who practices sinning, it's all about who are you following? Who are you following? Are you following the Lord? There's something that, that should be a measure of that life. Jesus said, <clears throat> John chapter 13, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other. Not by your theology, not by all the Greek words you can quote or the Hebrew uh, uh, genres you can build or whatever things you can develop in your intelligence. No, he says, look, they're gonna know you belong to me because you're gonna be like me. Jesus is saying you'll be like me. I love you. For God so, oh, you guys have heard this stuff before. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 is going to tell us by definition God is love. Oh, slow down though. That's not how you define love. It's how God defines love. We're going to talk about that too. It's not love like uh, I got this uh, fuzzy feeling, you know. Remember when you were a teenager? No? Nobody does? <laughs> That's a bad sign. We better get out and talk to some young folk. <clears throat> When you was a teenager, and remember that girl, fellas, the girl that you were interested in, and she'd walk by, and you'd get that little feeling, ooh, that little butterflies, come on, you know what I'm talking about, or girls, ladies, when that, that guy would pass, oh, you get them butterflies, that's not love, that's not love, the love the Bible talks about is infinitely deeper than that, it can include that. But it is infinitely deeper, and we want to understand that. So whoever practices sinning, you're following the example of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So look, sin is defined for us. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4. Romans 14, 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is not eating from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. James 4, 17, for you to know the right thing to do and fail to do it, to him it is sin. We don't have to wonder what sin is. The Bible tells us what sin is. And that sin is the example of following the brethren. And sin is fighting in opposition to what God has proclaimed the victory in. It contradicts the work of Christ. If you as a believer practice sin, you're contradicting what Christ said he accomplished at the cross. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He nailed our failures to the cross. He nailed our sin to the cross because his own, or, uh, um, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He took away all the battle that the devil had. He took away our bondage to sin. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who by fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, set us free. We don't have to sin. We'll have to. Scripture declares to us, though sometimes we choose it. 
Verse 9 of 1 John 3 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Romans chapter 6 says it like this, How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Making a practice means I have set my life habitually in sin. I cannot be born of God and set my life habitually in sin. I cannot live in rebellion, open rebellion against God's proclaimed word and declare myself to be a believer. Those two things don't work. Can I stumble and fall? For sure. A righteous man falls seven times in a day and rises again. Will I stumble and commit sin? Yes. Will I struggle with sin? Yes. Struggling with sin is not living habitually in it. Do you understand the difference? between struggling and living habitually. Struggling in sin means we are battling against sin because we want to be delivered because Christ has delivered us from sin. Amen. Wallowing in my sin is not struggling. That's wallowing. So if you sit around and you say, you think about it like this, practicing sin is like taking a bubble bath and saying you're not taking a bubble bath. Oh, I'm so comfortable in my bubble bath. Look at all the bubbles. Oh, I'm blowing on the bubbles, playing with the bubbles. And somebody come in and say, are you in a bubble bath? Nope. I'm struggling against my bubble bath. My bubble bath has wrestled me into the pits of despair, but worry not, I shall come out of my bubble bath. No, that ain't struggle. You guys know what struggle We can struggle and we will struggle in sin. This side of paradise, this side of being with Christ and walking in glorification, struggle is okay, wallowing is not. Struggling is okay, taking a bath in it, playing with it, looking at it, keeping it in a cage to pull out whenever you want, that's not struggle, that's a pet. If you have a pet sin, you're supposed to mortify it. You know what mortification is? It means it's supposed to be dead. No, cannot practice sin, walk in sin. Rather, he says in verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God abides in him. So if Jesus is with you, He's living in your life. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're not going to join yourself to anything that is in opposition to him. Because if you do, what will Jesus say? He will tell you, what are you doing here? You'll feel, what am I doing here? You'll say, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Oh, how did I get to this place? Now you may struggle in that, but the reality is if Christ is in you, he's telling you, get out. This is not the place for you. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot continue in sin because he's been born of God. So when I've given my life to God, the things that the Lord calls sin, I can't live in. I, it upsets my stomach. I don't like to be there. I don't want to be a part of it. Now, that's not the same thing as what men call sin. I'm saying what God calls sin. You know the difference? Men have a longer list. God's sin will all be wrapped up in what John is telling us to do. Love God, love your brother. If you do those two things, you won't sin against them. You won't walk in sin. You won't live in sin because you are fulfilling holding fast to what God is calling us to. Sin always wants to challenge the word of God. Half God said, are you sure that the Lord said not to eat of the fruit of this tree? Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and the children of devil. This is the evidence. You want to know who you're following? Look at what you're doing. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God. Oh, there's not a period there. Do you guys notice that? There's not a period in that sentence where I stop. Um, 
actually one of the really cool things in the Bible, there's no punctuation. The original manuscripts, no punctuation. Read straight through. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God or the one who does not love his brother. John makes a direct correlation between loving your brother and practicing righteousness. And he's going to build on that the rest of the way through. So just in case you think, you know, Jackie, I think you're trying to force this stuff in there. I'm not the one who put Cain in here. Do you guys hear about Cain? What do you do? Oh, you're kidding me. You think that John just happened to throw that on there? Or was he making a point? He's, he's driving home the point, guys. He wants us to understand. You want to practice righteousness? You want, to know, you want people to know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? And this is the key. Love each other. Love one another. Can you be bitter and loving at the same time? It's not possible. You cannot do it. Jesus said it like this. Can a stream flow with bitter water and sweet water at the same time? Nope. It's either what? Bitter or sweet. It's either bitter or sweet. Now, if we want to practice unrighteousness, who are we like? The devil. What's he marked by? Not love. What's he marked by? Hate. He's marked by bitterness, wrath, malice. Clamor, all the things that the Lord says to put off. Those are, so, so when what's springing out of my life is anger, clamor, wrath, malice, um, bitterness, envy. When all of these are the things that are flowing out of my life, we call that the fruit of the flesh, which is supposed to be mortified. And we're to walk in the fruit of the spirit, which is love. Oh, you guys have heard that before. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right? You guys, kindness, gentleness, peace. This is the thing that God's word is calling us to, and John is building on. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So the number one problem in the church today is we are infiltrated with bitterness for one another. We are filled with hatred for one another, malice for one another, anger for one another, and we write it off and we say, well, I have the right to these feelings because that person did whatever. And we continue to walk in disobedience. We need to recognize what the word of God is calling us to. He's calling us to love one another. Look at verse 12. For we should not be like Cain. That's kind of crazy. I thought we were talking about practicing righteousness. And what, what do you think the sin of Cain is? Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 11. Here's what it tells us. It tells us Genesis 4, 1 through 11. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I think... Eve is looking at Cain and thinking he's the fulfillment of the promise from chapter 3. That the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. That they would be delivered from the bondage that they found themselves in through the fall of man. And Cain's one. And when you have a child, you look at that little infant baby and you have a million dreams for them. All the things they can be, all the things they can do. Hopefully all the joy that they're going to have in their life. And that's no different for Eve. She looked at Cain and she said, oh man, I have, a, I have a man from the Lord. This is, maybe this is the one. Maybe he's the one who will deliver his people. 
And it says, and again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel is a keeper of the sheep, Cain, a worker of the ground. Let me help you guys. What they did for a living does not matter at all. What they brought for their offering does not matter at all. The Bible's full of grain offerings. There's no such thing as you can only have an offering of blood. They don't know any of that yet. This is Genesis 4. So it's weird. We have, we're a long ways from the Ten Commandments and the, on all, all, we don't even know where they learned how to get them an offering. All we know is that they knew, Cain and Abel knew, that they were supposed to worship God. And they are brothers. This you have heard from the beginning. You ought to love one another. Here's what the scripture tells us. Scripture says, Now Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, a grain offering. Those are everywhere throughout scripture. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Now listen. This is what happened. They both came and brought an offering to the Lord. We don't know what that looked like. I'm assuming they brought it down to where the, the, the cherubim stood at the entrance to the Garden of Eden because they would have still known where that was. The flood hasn't occurred yet. And they would, would come to where the two cherubim are and they would bring their offering to the Lord and the Lord would meet them there. Probably that's where the Lord had instructed them about these things, their father passing this on to them and they come, the Lord had regard for Abel's. Whatever Abel did was that which brought honor to the Lord. We already read, what is sin? Anything that does not proceed from faith. From trust. And so Abel trusts the Lord, has faith in the Lord. He brings an offering to the Lord and his offering is received. Cain comes before the Lord, his offering is not received. There's no regard to it. Jesus said this, if you come to bring your offering before the Lord, and there you remember, I have a problem with my brother. You really think all these things aren't connected? Leave your offering there, and first what? Go be reconciled to your brother. Go forgive your brother. Because bitter and sweet cannot flow out of the same spring. I cannot trust God and not trust God at the same time. You say, I trust God, but I hate my brother. Let's go back. Can bitter and sweet flow from the same spring? Oh, no, they can't. Can I, on one hand, proclaim my faith and trust in God as the ultimate judge and then harbor resentment toward my brother because I want the right to judge him? I can do that. I can. Am I sinning? Yeah. John says you can't live in that if you're a believer. If you're a believer, that's going to eat you up. It may eat you up so much that you don't even know what's wrong. You may struggle with this thing and you may say, man, I don't know why. I'm just mad all the time and I'm angry all the time. And I am <clears throat> go home and I yell at my wife or I kick the dog or I, or I you know, I'm, I, every little thing sets me off all the time. I don't know why it's like that. I don't know why this is a struggle I have. It might be something else. I don't know why I can't stop picking up a bottle. I don't know why I can't stop self-medicating. I don't know why I can't stop getting high. I don't know why I can't do all of these things or chase all these things. I don't know why I can't find a, 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 a one, one woman's not enough for me and I keep going on and on or one man's not enough for me or I'm looking for all these things. You can't bring an offering to the Lord and have aught against your brother. You must be reconciled to your brother. 
And to do that, you're going to have to forgive him. But Jackie, you don't know what he did. I don't care what he did. I don't care at all. The Lord said, I'm the judge, not you. Do you trust me? Do you trust the Lord? If you trust the Lord, then give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you judge between me and them. I forgive them. Cain brought his offering. His offering was not received. Listen to what the Lord said to Cain. He said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? So what had already happened? Listen, what had already happened? You, you guys all want to think that Cain came and he got angry because that didn't happen. But what, what did we say? What flows out of the stream? Sweet or bitter, okay? So if I fill a glass up with sweet water and I bump it, you know what? I can't accept your offering. And I bump up against that glass of sweet water, what comes out? If I fill that glass up with bitter water and I bump up against the bitter water, what comes out? Cain, why are you angry? Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why are you so upset? Why are you so frustrated by, by this thing? What did God say? If you do well, I'll accept you. If you do well, I'll accept you. Isn't that what the Lord said to Cain? If, look, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, if you're going to continue to walk in disobedience and rebellion against God, listen to what he says, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to rule over you. You should rule over it. You don't think God knows Cain's already killing his brother in his heart? God knows. I don't know what Cain's bitterness was with his brother, and the Bible doesn't tell us, and I'll tell you why, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't care what he did. It doesn't matter. God has declared himself the judge. All judgment of the living and the dead has been committed to the son, John chapter 5. He is the judge of the living and the dead. Everybody who ever wronged you, everybody who ever wronged me. It's not my place. It's God's place. Do you trust God? I trust you, Lord. I want to leave it with you. The scripture says in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. So the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? In, uh, in Romans 14, flip over to Romans 14. They're not going to have it on the slide because they didn't know I was going to do this. Which usually means I didn't know I was going to do this either. So Romans 14 verse 7 says this. <clears throat> For none of us live to himself, none of us dies to himself. That just means in the hub of the wheel, you're not the center. Who's the center? The hub of the wheel is Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of the life of a believer, right? So none of us lives to himself. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves. It's not about us. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be uh, Lord both of the dead and the living. Who's the Lord of the dead and the living? Jesus. Who's in charge of anything a brother has ever done to you? Who will judge him? Look at verse 10, Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you hate him? So Paul in Romans 14 is saying, look, same kind of thing. Why are you looking at one another with hatred in your heart? You're supposed to love each other. Why are you so angry at someone else or what someone said about you or what someone did to you or, or whatever? Why are you allowing that to do consume you? You know it consumes you because every time you get together with somebody, you talk about it. Every time that something comes up, it goes back. 
Look, I know when me and Kathy were not okay, when, when in the early days of our marriage, when I was a dirtbag and I was a cretin, you know, some people say I still am, but I was worse. In those days, I knew, I knew that I wasn't forgiven. You know how I knew I wasn't forgiven? Every time I bumped Kathy's cup, it all poured back out again. Four years after the event, four years later, I've done nothing like I did for four years. And I'd bump the cup and it'd spill out. And what would start was what happened four years ago. You guys ever do that? If you do that, you have not forgiven. Kathy testifies that the Lord spoke to her through a dream and showed her two paths. One path where she was right to judge me for all the wicked things I had ever put her through. And that path was dead. And then there was the path of life that was full of green trees and flowers. That path said, forgive. You cannot have bitter and sweet at the same time. You're going to pick one. And the vast majority, I said this up at family camp. I've been asked this question in 25 years of ministry. I've been asked this question a lot. How come we don't see power in the church like we used to see in the book of Acts? How come we don't see people doing And Everybody has all kinds of different answers. Different theological concepts, different theological answers, different things that they, that they throw out there. You know, well, this is why, this is why, this is why. Maybe the reason is because we're walking in a bunch of unconfessed sin, standing in the darkness, professing to be walking in the light. And I can say that because I was doing it. And I know that if I'm doing it, so are you. And when, and when I wanted to do Joshua, I wanted to teach Joshua, I was all ready to do Joshua and the Jonathan comes to me, rains on my parade, and says, you can't, you, you don't got no recording for 1 John. I don't want to do 1 John, I want to do Joshua. As <laughs> soon as I get into 1 John, what's John busting me in the chops with? <laughs> He's busting me in the chops. Well, why are you bitter? Why don't you love your brother? What's going on in your life? Because it was time for God to say, you don't get to stay there no more. Now, if you pay attention to what's happening in the world, if we don't get our act together... What Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 is going to be said to us. If you will not repent, I will take your candlestick away from you. We need to be set free to let these things go. So what happened in, in Romans 14? First, you pass judgment, then you hate First you pass judgment, and then you hate. Well, Jackie, what, what are you talking about? Well, this is what I'm talking about. In Cain's case, he had already passed judgment on his brother Abel. I don't know what his beef with his brother was, but I believe when he came with his offering, that beef was already there. And the Lord said, hey, I'm sorry, offering is not okay. But if you do well, I'll receive it. And then he even gives him a clue. Hey, sin's at the door. God says, I know what you want to do. You're already thinking about killing your brother. Hey, you need to make peace with your brother. You need to forgive your brother. Whatever the, whatever the deal is, you should rule over it. So the Lord says, what have you done? The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. Now, do you honestly think that John, when he brings up Cain, is afraid that people are going to, in the middle of the church, start killing each other? You think that's what he thinks? You think when we talk about this, I think when we go out into the parking lot, somebody's going to pull out a gun and shoot the guy they're upset about? No. You have already killed him. Or, or them. When you cut them off from loving your brother. That's why Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder already. In your heart. It's not about the deed that you did. It's about the thing that is becoming. Look. 
the Lord wants us to recognize what he's calling us to. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He judged his brother. Now he's going to make the comparison between Cain and Abel. Now we're talking about Cain and Abel. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Who hated Abel? Cain. Cain's deeds were dark. Cain hated his brother. Cain killed his brother. He says, don't be surprised, brethren, that the world hates you. That's the attitude of the world. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Know that that's, that's how it's going to be. You're going to see this reality. The world hates it. But we, in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Ephesians chapter 2 says, not once you were kind of like dead. It says, for we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive together with him. He's translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So if you're in the kingdom of his son, John wants us to know that we need to love one another. We got to love one another. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's not a little thing. It's a big deal. Not a little thing. Big deal. This is usually what happens when I talk about people practicing sin. If you're practicing sin, you're not a child of God. Oh, you know, I stopped drinking. I don't smoke anymore. I don't go to the bar. Look at all these great things. Here's the question. Do you hate your brother? And are you happy in that? Are you warmed at night in the, in the warm bubble bath in your tub? Comforted by your own hatred for your brother. For no one who practices sin is a child of God. Now, listen to what James said. James said we should come to the word of God and look into its mirror. Because the mirror of the word of God will show me my sin. And when I am confronted with my sin, it doesn't matter what lies behind me. When I'm confronted with my sin and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what do I do? There's a problem that hinders. That problem is sin. How do we deal with it? 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sin. You're right, Lord. You know what? I have bitterness in my heart. Forgive me. And I'm going to forgive my brother or my sister or my family or my whatever the thing is. And I'm going to trust you. Because that's what a believer does. Someone who's of the world, they are like Cain. They just hate the other. John has already said in 1 John chapter 2, do you not know that there are many antichrists with you? They won't stay with you. They'll abandon you. For if they leave us, they were never. You guys have heard it before. Everything that John's talking about here is about loving each other. It's about laying down our bitterness and, and walking in love. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The absence of love in a believer is described as abiding in death. For you were once dead in trespasses and sin, but now you are alive in Christ. Romans 5 tells us the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit so that you can love like you ought to be. It's a gift that God has given us. The attitude of hatred is a problem. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. 
forgive them. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You guys know what all that is? That's, this is, look, bitterness, you guys got an idea. Wrath is an outburst of anger that's uncontrolled. Anger is a constant state of walking around, ticked off at the world 24-7. That was probably my biggest issue. I would be comforted sometimes by my anger. Clamor, there's always chaos around you. Slander, you're always talking about someone else. Um, malice, the desire that someone else would fail. He says, put all this away, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in the same way Christ forgave you. How did Christ? Did you just kill me? Is that who? I, I think I've got minutes or so. Man. Can bitter and sweet be in the same spring? So can I have bitterness, wrath, anger, and be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving? One or the other. This is a sin that God committed uh, told me I was committing. This is what God said. Hey, you got to let that go. Colossians 3.8. Now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk out of your mouth. Colossians 3.12. Then put on, like Christ's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Oh, you wish he didn't say that? I had somebody tell me one time, Jackie, I can forgive you as long as you don't ever do it again. But if you do it again, I can't forgive you. Colossians says we are to bear with one another. And I don't, I don't ever aim to break anybody's heart. It's not my goal, Right? But if you cannot from your heart forgive your brother or your sister or whomever, when we do the Lord's Prayer, you guys all know the Lord's Prayer. When we say in the Lord's Prayer, you, you actually, when you repeat the Lord's Prayer, you say this phrase, Lord, forgive me the same way I forgive others. What? Say that again. Lord, forgive me the same way I forgive others. Is that how you want God to forgive you like you forgive others? Is this how you want God to forgive you? Okay, Jackie, as long as you never do it again, but if you ever do it again, I'm not forgiving you. That's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. It says, this is how we ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our transgressions as the same way we forgive others. You're asking God to forgive you the way you forgive. If you think about that, it should change the way you think about forgiveness, no? It certainly changes the way I think about it. I want to put on compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. I want to bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against anyone, that's pretty broad language. If anyone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. I wonder what we should do. Jackie, you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. I'm going to go back to what I said before. I don't care. What did he say? If you have a complaint against anyone else, forgive each other the same way the Lord forgave you. 
so you also must forgive. We need to be forgiving. Apparently, people have a problem with these attitudes because it's not hard for me to find verses that say the same thing. I don't even have to, you know, go in a concordance and say, man, I need to look up all the places the Bible says, love your brother, forgive one another, be tender-hearted, kind to one another. Uh, you know, it's amazing how many times he says the same thing. You know, anytime the Lord says the same thing over and over and over again, it usually indicates we should be listening. Right? When we talk about this love, it's not the love that you, the butterflies we talked about earlier, the Bible describes it. 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we're going to wrap up. This is the love we want flowing so that we can walk in righteousness, so that we act like Christ, that we love one another. I'll, I'll tell you this. If we ever get so ooey and gooey that the love is ooey, gooey love everywhere, and, and we have a problem with pointing out people's sin, I'll let you know we went too far. But we're nowhere close to that right now. So I'm not going to worry about that part. Let's get corrected. Let's get back on the path. Love one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy love does not boast love is not arrogant love is not rude love does not insist on its own way love is not irritable love is not resentful Mm. If I say resentful, I'm not sure you guys understand it as well as if I say this. Love keeps no record of wrong. How are we supposed to forgive each other? Like Christ, right? You guys ever read the Psalms? As far as the east is from the west... He has removed your transgressions from you. The Lord says multiple times throughout the Old Testament, and I will remember your sin no more. It is not resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing does not celebrate that which is wrong but love rejoices in the truth love bears all things just in case all means all and that's all that all means all things love bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things it endures all things. Love never ends. When in our world today, love ends every five minutes. In the current state that we live in, you can get a divorce and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. You go down to the courthouse, pay them 800 bucks, fill out a piece of paper, sign it, and it's over. Just like that. But the Bible says love never ends. The love you have for one another is not a temporary love. It's an eternal love. Who gave it to you? God. When did he give it to you? When he gave you the Holy Spirit. When did he give you the Holy Spirit? When you believed. He has poured out this love. Poured out. That's what Romans 5 says. Dumped a bucket on your head of all the love you could ever need. And the source of all that love is in you as a believer. 
Love never ends. It's for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. When we see Christ, we're not going to need prophecy anymore. Jesus is right there. You're not going to need tongues anymore. Jesus is right there. You're not going to need knowledge anymore. Jesus is right there. But you know what is never going to go away? Love. Because God is love. Love never fails. So now, faith, hope, and love, these abide, these three. But the greatest of these is? So John would stand before the church. And they would say, what does the oldest man, oldest living disciple of Jesus have to say? And he would stand before the people in Ephesus, the same church where he challenged them in Revelation chapter 2 to repent because they had left their first love. That's the place where John died. Ephesus, they'd wheel him up front and he would sit there and say, my little children, love one another. This is the message that needs to get into our heart. This is God's call to repentance. Turn from your bitterness and be filled with the sweetness of his spirit. For I cannot walk in both sides at the same time. I will love one and hate the other. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will be quick to repent of our stuff and we want above all things to love you like Christ loved the church. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord, and we just want to allow just the stillness of our heart to call out to your spirit, God. That we, Lord, would be a people quick to confess for we know the person who makes it all possible he is the word of life Jesus but I know my sin hinders me and you're telling me that if I'm walking with you I'll hear the things you command me and I and I will lay down lay down my sin God I pray in this place we would lay down our anger. We would lay down our wrath. We would lay down our slander. That we would commit ourselves to walk in the light as you are in the light. I'm not talking here about the world. I'm talking here about us. Loving each other. I'm talking about not walking in the sin of gossip anymore and trying to call it prayer. I'm talking about forgiving from your heart the perceived wrong that someone has done to you. I'm talking about you asking God to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and his love. We're talking about God's church, his bride, 
cleansing herself of her unrighteousness, washing the bitterness and the anger and all that is in the cup, wash it out. For Jesus took that cup for me. I don't have to pick it up again. I get rather to pick up the cup of the Spirit. I get to pick up love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. I cannot walk in both. I need to confess, repent. This is what John wrote in Revelation chapter 2 for Ephesus. He said, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and return to doing the things you're supposed to do. He said to Ephesus, you're a great heretic hunters. He said to Ephesus, you, you know what a false teacher is. He said to Ephesus, you, you do good things. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. This is the commandment that you have from the beginning. Love one another. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these. Love one another. So, Father, we have lost our way. And we comfort ourselves with just a little sin. But you say that if I'm comfortable in my sin, I'm not in you. So God, drive us to our knees. Call us to repentance. Bring us to a place where we turn our back on all of that. And we turn our face toward the one that was beat by the fists of men. Help us turn our face to you, Lord God Almighty, and walk in the blessing you have for us. And may you be glorified here in Jesus' name. Amen.